Good morning. Just want to get some feedback on you so you can feel the weight of what I'm about to say, which is thank you. Thanks to everybody who wished me a happy birthday. I appreciate it. Celebrated my semi-centennial birthday, 50 years old. Isn't that amazing? It's hard, it's hard to believe. A lot of people have asked me, you know, how do you feel? How, how does it feel? You know, I have to say, um, wasn't as rough as turning 40 was. We won't go there for, for the time's sake. Um, but it definitely, it's not been as hard. Probably has a lot to do with the fact that my wife says I still can pass for a really hot 30-something. <laughs> so, you know, I got that going for me. Yeah. Hey, my wife had a birthday this week, too. Thank you guys for blessing her. She was really happy. She's uh, 29 again. I don't know how she keeps doing that. I think it's, we, it's like a codependent thing, you know. We pretend she's 29, and she says I'm a hot 30-something, so it's, it works for us, right? Um, but yeah, so thank you guys so much. I I now take my place among the other quinquagenarians. It's a real word. Quinquagenarian, those people who are in their 50s can Google that. That's your word for the day. Quinquagenarian. So thank you guys so much. It's felt a lot of love, and I hope to honor the 50-plus crowd as I start getting my AARP mail. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, 55, I get senior citizen coffee. I got five more years before I can get those. Okay, enough of that. So today, um, I want to continue. We're going to continue our study of the book of Romans. Um, And let's just pray for a moment. Father, I I just, I want to honor the word of God right now. It's so precious. It is so holy, God. It is so important. And I thank you for this word, God, that you have given us, that you've inspired the writers of the word, God, to bring us truth that can set us free, that sets us apart, makes us holy, it makes us happy. It blesses us, the inner man, the outer man, and every part who we are, God. So I Thank you, God, for your word. And I pray, God, that things I say today would be from your heart. People would grab a hold of the things they need to grab a hold of today. So we honor you, God, for your word, and we bless you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're following along with our reading plan, um, uh, we read chapter 5 this week. And uh, bef- now before I, before I jump into chapter 5, which is really what I want to talk about today, I'm going to give us just a very super duper quick overview of Romans 4. Um, because in Romans 4, Paul starts to make uh, the point that we are justified by faith, not works, right? And he uses the example of Abraham, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. 
And his son said, Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Yes. All right, all you church kids know it. The rest of you are like, that's a weird song. But he uses Abraham, and it's important that he's using Abraham because uh, Abraham gave the Jews this thing called circumcision. And circumcision in the Jewish culture was the sign that Jewish people were right with God. It was the sign of it. But Paul points out in that Abraham was not righteous because he was circumcised. He said that, that, you know, yes, God commanded him to be circumcised as a, as a sign of this covenant between us. But he, he wasn't righteous because of that. It was because Abraham believed God. Everyone say, I believe God. Abraham believed God, and that was what was credited to him as righteousness. Or we could say right standing. I'm in a right place with God. And so Paul even points out that Abraham believing God and receiving this credit of righteousness, it all happened before he was circumcised. And so Paul then, he goes on and he talks about, um, you know, uh, the blessing of, of being forgiven. And that, that the blessing isn't only for circumcised Jews, but it's for everyone who believes in Jesus. And so if we will walk in the faith footsteps of Abraham, we too have the same blessing of righteousness that he received, no matter how well or how poorly we obey the laws of God. In fact, Paul says that the law of God actually brings wrath. Therefore, we actually we need faith so that the promises of God will be fulfilled through God's grace. In fact, and, and, and we know that Abraham... He had this great promise that he would be the father of many nations. And Paul says that Abraham believed what God said. He believed what God said in spite of the negative circumstances of his life. Like he was an old dude, way beyond 50. His wife couldn't even make children anymore. Past the age. And yet God said, no, you're going to be the father of many nations and he said, I believe that. Instead of wavering in faith because of all the negative things in his life, Paul says Abraham believed God. He believed the promise that God would make him a father of nations. And because he believed, he was credited with righteousness. And so Paul then ends chapter 4 by saying that the things that are written about Abraham are not just for his benefit, but they're for our benefit. Because if we believe in Jesus like Abraham believed God, guess what? We are saved, we are justified, and we are made right with God. Hallelujah. And then that takes us right in to Romans chapter 5, in which we are going to learn about today. It's unshakable faith. 
In fact, let's, we're going to just read Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, everyone say faith. faith. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Everyone say peace. peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Everyone say sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you, God, for that word. Just as Abraham's faith brought him righteousness and great blessings, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, we also receive righteousness and great blessings. Yet, as Paul reminds us in this passage, our faith doesn't always protect us from suffering. Oh, where's my amens on that? In fact, sometimes we suffer because we have faith. Because we still live, if you haven't noticed, on a rebellious planet. We still have rebellious bodies. And we live during a time in history in which Satan is still active. So along with the blessings Paul says that we can also expect tribulations. And when he says tribulations or, or suffering, he, uh, he means the things that we suffer because of our faith in Christ, right? Things like our uh, religious persecution, spiritual oppression, uh, temptation, even the pain of, of trying to love hard to love people. Serving sacrificially, like the time you give up to do kingdom stuff, sometimes it costs and it hurts. That's the kind of tribulations Paul is talking about. It's about the stuff that when we're doing the kingdom, when we're living out the gospel, when we are proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, and we suffer sometimes for it. And we've talked about suffering before, right? Do we remember? Remember my, my message in Philippians chapter 1, verses 29 and 30? You've been given a grace to suffer. Remember 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, talked about suffering. If you're reading along, hopefully you're picking up, there's a thread throughout almost the whole New Testament. Christians should be suffering. I said should. In fact, I was talking to Tina. She was bringing up an interesting point just the other day. Uh, she was listening to uh, Todd White, I think she said. and Todd White made this, uh, this statement. If you're not being persecuted as a Christian, you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's the message of the New Testament. Faithful Christians suffer. This shouldn't be new information to us. But it's true for everyone who wants to be a faithful follower. Paul's words here in Romans 5 are true for all the suffering that this world brings. In the midst of any type of trial, Paul, he wants us to remember that God is able to use our trials to make our faith stronger. He wants us to know that, that the sufferings we go through can actually are designed to draw us closer to God. That's why he says we can rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. We can rejoice or we can boast in our tribulations. You see, instead of destroying our faith, tribulation will only prove that our faith in God is genuine. And we know that it pleases God to see our faith endure the tests that we have to go through. And Hebrews 11 says that he rewards us for that faith. But you see, God already knew our faith was genuine. The people who actually discover how real our faith is in the midst of a trial is us. It's me. It's in difficult times that I discover I really meant it when I surrendered to Jesus. It is in hard times that I realize I was serious about taking up the cross and following. Only in trials do we discover this. Only in trials do I discover that within me is a true and genuine faith that nothing can shake. It is unshakable. So let's look at verse 1 again. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he's coming out of Romans 4, talking about Abraham and his faith. We, he says, so therefore, since we have also were justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul says that believers in our Lord Jesus Christ enter into a state of peace with God. Now, this is a really, really important truth that I want us to understand today. Because our belief in Jesus, because of it, because of our believing in Christ, because of that, we are at peace with God. And you know, one of the ways that it's impacting me right now is as I wrestle with the question of why we lost our brother Chuck. Why did our prayers not have the full effect? Why did God allow this to happen? And you know, of all the answers that I could consider, 
One answer has to be taken completely off the table. And that is for some reason that God was at war with Chuck. That idea has to completely be removed. Because Chuck believed that Jesus was his Savior. And that means that God was at peace with Chuck. He was not at war with him. Chuck was justified by his faith. And therefore, God was at peace with Chuck. When I think about when we lost our sister Kristen Supinger, and I asked the question, why did she have to die? Why did our prayers not bring her complete healing? I, at the very least, must know that God was at peace with Kristen. Listen, the power of this one verse can reshape our entire outlook of God in the midst of our trials and our sufferings. You know, I would say that a majority of Christians see God as mostly mad and angry for all their failures. And we live our lives like we are always on God's bad side. But the truth is, we are at peace with God. We, who were once rebels, who were once at war with God, we no longer need to fear the judgment that we should have faced on Judgment Day. No longer are we kept at a distance from the presence of God because of our sins. We don't have to be ashamed to come to God in prayer and in worship because he's not angry with us. He's not angry with us because of our weaknesses, because of our failings. Instead, he loves and blesses us. And he treats us like children. He treats us like he's our dad. Now, we, I, I know he, he corrects us and he disciplines us. Hebrews 12 tells us all about that. But death by pneumonia, death by cancer, they are not on the list of ways that God corrects his children. Why? Because God is at peace with us. That means every trial we go through, every suffering that we experience because we want to be faithful Christians never come from the Father because He is not at war with us anymore. Not like in the days when we were selfish rebels living in opposition of his love. God doesn't need to invent trouble for our lives. We do a fine enough job of that. Through our disobedience, through the harassment of demonic powers. Now something we need to know about this plan of peace is that it is a very ancient plan. It was God's plan 
long before the foundation of the world. In fact, he revealed it, this prophetic plan to Isaiah in chapter 53. He says that he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And his wounds have healed us. We read in Colossians 1, 19, it says, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making what? Peace by the blood of his cross. And again, in Ephesians 2, 14, it says, He himself, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. God has always planned for there to be peace with us. That's why he sent Jesus, so that we could enjoy this peace. And listen, we got to understand something. This peace was made by God, not by us. That means a believer is not responsible for having peace in the sense of making it, but in having peace in the sense of enjoying it. God has made peace with me. And his intent is not for us to just read about it. Oh, I heard about it. No. God's plan was that we would enjoy the peace that he created for us. I mean, this is about as far away from the grumpy God picture as it gets. God's not at war with those who confess that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. But that's not all that we get through our faith. Verse 2 says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what Paul's saying here is that because we are spiritually joined Nice try. Huh, I wonder what's on my email. I haven't checked it today. Deborah Tower, we're going to talk. Well, we're at peace, sweetie, so don't worry. So Paul is saying here in verse 2 that because we are spiritually joined to Jesus, we now have a perpetual access to God's grace. That means we can turn to him for forgiveness and help, and we can confidently declare that in the future, I'm going to be with him. I'm going to be dwelling in glory with God. I mean, think about that. By faith, we have access to grace that we stand in and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
That is such a massive shift and change from Romans 3.23. When we remember that? When we read that? Romans 3.23 says we all fall short of the glory of God. Now we're rejoicing in it. So Paul says that by faith, we have been given two very beautiful gifts. Verse 1 says that we have peace with God. And verse 2 says we have access to grace. Peace and grace. And I believe that it is these two beautiful gifts that must be the lens that we look through when we experience what comes next in the following verses. Verse 3, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So now I know if you feel like me, you know, we're singing and we're dancing about, you know, verse 1 and 2. We're happy. Oh, I got the glory, the hope of glory. I'll be in glory, God's awesome glory. Right? We're just partying. And then Paul says, and we rejoice in suffering. And we're like, Okay, I'm going to need you to explain this one. Yeah, tell me more. (laughs) Well, yeah, we are rejoicing in our peace with God. We are rejoicing in the grace of God. We rejoice in the future hope of glory of God but we still experience suffering. And I know if you're me, you like to say, why? Why? Well, as I shared before, because we still live on a rebellious planet. We live in a period of time where Satan is active. So along with all these blessings, we can also expect tribulation. But we don't have to worry. Why? Because when we get to later down the road here in in Romans in chapter 8, we know that God is able to make everything. Everyone say everything. God is able to make everything that happens to us work for good in our lives. Yeah. Even hardship. Even persecution does a good work of refining our character so that we become more and more like Jesus. And if we can believe this, it should change our attitude towards suffering completely. Because as unpleasant as some suffering may be, they teach us to endure to persevere. They actually force us to walk more deeply in faith. They they drive us to try to find spiritual disciplines that really work in our life. You know, Jesus even went so far as to say that we are blessed when we suffer. Remember this one, Matthew 5, 10? Everyone say blessed. Blessed. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What are we supposed to do? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. Where? Heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Meaning, you're not anything special. Your, your hardship isn't any worse than being sawed in half. All the crucified people, you haven't done that. They went through worse, and they endured. And now they have the reward. I mean, think about Job. You know, he's our poster child for someone righteous who goes through intense suffering. Even Job understood what was supposed to be the outcome of his trial. He says in 23.10, he says, But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will, what? Shall come out as gold. You're on your way to bling. You should be able to outshine the most awesomest rapper on the scene. You know, hardship and affliction also have a way of bringing us back to faithful obedience to God's word. You know, so many people who walk away from God, they go through something terrible, and that terrible thing actually is designed to bring them back to God. The psalmist says it in verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. In other words, I'm out, I was out living my best life now, doing my own thing. Oh, I didn't care about God. I didn't care about his word. I didn't care about his house. I didn't care about his people. I went astray before I got afflicted. But whoa, affliction came. And now, now what do I do? I keep your word. I live by it. Let's keep reading in Romans. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in other words, trials are supposed to end up not destroying us, but proving us. Proving that my faith in God is real. You know, trials bring two things, a couple of things, a few things. One, they bring experience, which is the ability to deal with a problem. I mean, sometimes we just, the stuff we go through, we go, ha, I learned that lesson. I won't do that one again. No, I played with that thing in the spiritual world. I probably shouldn't have touched that, should I? 
So trials help bring some, some experience that we know how to deal with the problem, but they also bring something else. They bring hope. Because if we go through them with God, we know the problem is for our good. Now there's something else that happens when we go through a trial, or should. Our grip on this world is supposed to grow weaker and weaker while our longing for eternal life and seeing Jesus face to face should be growing stronger and stronger. Now, I, I know if you're like me, then I, I wish I could just mature without having to suffer. Like I have signed up for that class 10,000 times. But let's be honest. None of us are really built that way. It takes suffering to pry us from the love of this world and its pleasures. I know from experience that the difficult times that I've gone through, they help loosen my tie to this world. They bring me closer to the Lord. It's through trials that we actually are able to develop an unshakable faith. I mean, we want this amazing faith, and, but never have to use it. I want to be a monster of faith. I want to be a giant. I don't want to go through anything, God. So can we do that? Can we do that version? Well, there's no history for it, but good luck on you. Usually what happens when a Christian tries for that version is they avoid doing kingdom stuff altogether. Because faith requires that you walk up to a stranger and tell them Jesus loved them and saved them. Faith means you stand up to your child who says, no, I'm going to do this and watch that and live this way. No, Jesus says we won't, and you won't either. Phones clicked. I don't know what happened. You have no service. (laughs) Hopefully this trial will teach you something. When I go through hard stuff, it's, it's brought me closer to the Lord. It's made me go, this world stinks. <laughs> I, I really don't think I like it as much as I thought I did. It's through trials that our unshakable faith starts to develop. We discover how genuine our faith really is. When we lose our beloved brother Chuck, our sister Kristen, and others, we have an opportunity We can either keep believing that God is good or we can allow our faith to be damaged as we entertain thoughts like, you know, God, maybe he isn't that good after all. It's through trials that we can grow in the undeniable fact that God is at peace with us regardless of the circumstances. And I want you to think about this when you are at school, when you're at work. I want you to think about this when it comes to the sinful 
social issues that are being labeled as good and progressive. Think about this when it comes to family or friends who hold to an unholy point of view that completely rejects God and His Word. Are you willing to go through the trial? Or do you plan to keep quiet and run away? You know, some people, they, they, they remain perpetual baby Christians because they refuse to stand when God says stand. I wish we didn't have to go through suffering, but it's unavoidable if we want to be a faithful follower of Christ. I mean, Jesus even told us in John 16, He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, I promise you will have tribulation. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says we can be absolutely confident. And when I say absolutely, I mean absolutely. And I say that because we, we, we all have encountered those Christians who are like, I don't know if I'm saved. It's because you don't know the truth. You don't know that God's at peace with you. All you think about is your sin, how you fail. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah. Do you believe He's alive and He raised from the dead? Yeah. Then you're at peace with God. He's at peace with you, even if you don't feel at peace with Him. And that's a real deal. I mean, he's at peace with us regardless of our state. The problem is we don't always feel like we're at peace with him. There are some days when I feel like I have done nothing but dishonor you. That feels like... (laughs) But it doesn't matter how you feel. He's at peace with you. And so we can be absolutely confident that this hope we have will be fulfilled because the power of the Holy Spirit, which is this foretaste of eternity, he's already been given to us. You already have him. He is living inside of you if you've confessed Jesus. And through the Spirit dwelling in us, we actually can feel God's uncompromised love for us. We've already begun to experience what it means to have our sins totally forgiven and live in His grace. <coughs> I love what John says. 1 John two, or 3, verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has yet to appear but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure 
Someone say amen. Amen. So just to recap how God uses tribulation. Paul's outlined a process here that's supposed to take place in the believer's heart. When we go through suffering, prolonged trials, prolonged tribulation, hardship. He says, tribulation makes us learn how to endure through difficult times when our faith becomes attacked. When we endure hardship, our faith is proven to be genuine and it should be growing stronger. And when our faith grows stronger, (coughs) we find ourselves longing, (coughs) just longing to be with Jesus. Who wants to be face to face with him? Amen. The Holy Spirit, he's in us, and he's reassuring us that God loves us. He will surely take us to God when we die. You know, so here's some things that God teaches us in the midst of our hardship. (coughs) Sorry. First, we should see the situation from his perspective. You might want to take a picture of this. In the midst of hardship, God teaches us to see things from his perspective. He adjusts our thinking. He adjusts our attitudes, our goals. He also teaches us to discover spiritual disciplines that work. That's why we're asking everyone to read with us the book of Romans. To be in a discipleship relationship. He teaches us to refuse to deny him, refuse to quit, refuse to give in, refuse to curse God and die. God teaches us to discover that the faith inside me is real and it can't be shaken. He teaches us to transfer the focus of my desires from always just blessing, blessing on this earth to just wanting to be close to him, to be in his glory He teaches us to stop fearing death. He teaches us to let my fear of being judged melt in the warmth of his love, knowing no matter what's going on out here, you are at peace with me. You know, when I think about these things, it makes so much sense why James says what he says in chapter 1, 2. He says, count it all joy. Everyone say joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So let's talk about some application. Let's suppose I'm in some kind of affliction right now. What does this passage have to say to me? Well, regardless of what is happening, God didn't send it. He's at peace with me. Again, and we know God does correct us and he chastens us. That's what Hebrews 12 says. But he doesn't invent trouble for my life. I'm doing that myself. The devil's doing it for me. Our disobedience creates all the trouble I could ever handle. 
In the midst of trouble, it is vital to know God is my help, not my problem. Next, I won't go through this alone. God is with me, and he will not leave me for a moment because I stand in his grace. You know, it's in some of the darkest moments of my life that God has spoken the loudest. You know, I am not just merely a forgiven enemy or a pardoned sinner. I am his child, and I have received the spirit of adoption so that from my heart I can scream, Abba, Father. This suffering is not going to last. It may feel like it's forever, but it's not going to last. In fact, at its worst, it can only kill me. Send me to eternal glory. I mean, Philippians 3.10 says, I know that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Thank you. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Eternal glory. Next is the suffering is not going to destroy me. It's going to strengthen me. Amen? <clears throat> Say, this suffering, this suffering won't destroy me. It can only strengthen me. See, God has a plan for my life. He's got a plan for your life. And that means that he's, he, he guides. He sets boundaries. He overrules tribulations and he makes sure that everything hard and troublesome that I have to go through he makes sure that every one of those things are forced to serve his plan for my life Amen. do you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament what was his perspective 50-20 he says as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Their evil plan was overruled by God to do good for Joseph and a whole bunch of other people. Who's ready for some evil plans to be overruled in their life? Uh huh. Thought that might get you. Then you got to ask yourself this. What do I need to learn from this trial? In fact, take a picture. You got to ask yourself, do I need a better revelation of God's love and the peace and grace that he has with me? Maybe I just need to toughen up and get some perseverance. What part of my character needs refined to be more like Jesus? How does my heart need to let go of the love of this world and grow in longing for the presence of Jesus? Does my hope level need to increase 
I tell you, if you will ask yourself these questions the next time you go through something that was meant for evil against you, you will come out of it with God's favor. Now I want to end with this. Just listen to Paul brag about garbage in his life. For I think that God has exhibited us, us, us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Wow, that's harsh, Paul. Yeah. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and we thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. But he wasn't done. He had more to say. Let's, hops in on 2 Corinthians. And, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, not the stupid kind. <laughs> this is where they take big rocks and they throw them at you, try to kill you. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, in exposure, and apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Well, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under, under King Heretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall to escape his hands. In all that Paul went through, Paul never once wondered why God allowed it. He doesn't wonder what he did wrong. He doesn't blame Anyone for not praying hard enough? He accepts it as a normal part of the believer's life. In fact, he seems to wear it like a badge of honor. 
I mean, we know Paul prayed for healing. We know he prayed for protection. We know he saw incredible miracles. Stuff we're still hoping to see here. He, he, he was all of that guy. But suffering was still a part of his life. And because he went through it with these truths in mind, they only made him stronger. Just like they do for you and me. So here's your action plan this week. Take a picture if you would, please. In your discipleship times with your family or in your discipleship groups, I'd like you to describe a time you've suffered because you were a Christian. How did God help you? What did you learn through it? I want you to also discuss what is the most freeing truth you learned from Romans 5. What's really hitting your heart? And of course, this week, we need you to read and do your here journal on Romans chapter 6 and memorize Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Storing the word of God in your heart gives you ammunition when you go through these hard things in life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the peace. Oh, my heart, God, it just did my heart so much good this week as I studied about being at peace with you. Even when I don't feel it, when I feel like I am acting like I'm at war with you, you are always at peace with me. And I have access to grace. And I can stand in your presence. That I can pray without shame. I can worship without shame. And I thank you, God, that the suffering that's in my life is designed to grow me. To improve me. I thank you that you are forcing and overruling the circumstances in order to serve my better good. And so we rejoice in that today, Father. And I pray, God, that we would be a people who see suffering in a completely different way than we have in the past. I hope, God, that you would please, Father, help us to put ourselves out there in the world in such a way that we bring your love and your grace no matter the cost. We stop being afraid of the lost and start loving them enough to tell them the truth. So I pray, Father, for great, a great boldness and courage to rise up in our hearts. To know that when we suffer, it wasn't from you. It is going to be used by you. So, Father, we take this word. We hide it in our heart today. Breathe on it. Speak to it. Throw out the stuff that wasn't important, but change us, God. We want changed people today, obedient hearts today, God. So drive this word deep in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.